Good morning and welcome to Emmanuel Baptist Church. We're so glad to have you join us today. And uh, <clears throat> we're uh, thankful to be able to do this. And, uh, and we trust that uh, this time that we spend with you this morning will be fruitful uh, and encouraging. And uh, certainly we, um, we hope that God will do uh, his work uh, in us and, and, uh, and at this time. And so we're very grateful for that. I want to begin with a word of prayer. <clears throat> and then uh, after we pray, we'll read the scriptures uh, and I'll lead you in a few songs uh, that we can sing together. So let's pray and ask God's help uh, and blessing in the time that we have together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful today as we come to you. Uh, Lord, we uh, are thankful for your sovereign uh, rule in this world. We're thankful that you are in control uh, of the, the, uh, the challenges of life. And uh, we live in, in a world that is full of uncertainty, but we, but we serve a God who is absolutely certain. And we're so thankful for that. We rejoice in that today. And, Lord, it's a comfort and an encouragement to us. And I pray that even now in this time that we have, that you would uh, stir our hearts uh, to love you more, to trust you more, uh, and, uh, Lord, to walk in obedience to you. And we thank you for that privilege. We also uh, pray that you would minister to each one who is uh, watching this today and uh, participating uh, with us. And, uh, Lord, we pray that uh, you would minister your grace uh, to each one who comes within the sound of my voice uh, and uh, the ministry of the word today. And we'll thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And now we're going to begin uh, with a reading from the book of Colossians as we continue to make our way through Colossians uh, in our scripture reading together. And so Colossians beginning in verse uh, chapter 3, rather, verse 18, and we're going to read down through chapter 4 and verse 6. And so if you have your Bible, uh, you can follow along, or of course you're welcome to read uh, aloud with me if you like. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, Give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. What a timely word uh, from the Apostle Paul uh, to us today. Uh, of course, he wrote that to the church at Colossae many, many years ago, uh, but uh, it is very fitting today to meditate on those things, uh, how we uh, treat one another, uh, and uh, certainly it reflects our love for the Lord and our obedience to Him. And so I trust that it's an encouragement to you today. Um, I'm going to invite you to sing uh, and uh, to join us in singing. We're going to sing some hymns together this morning. Uh, and uh, the first is the hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. 
Uh, and I believe this one is familiar. Uh, we're going to sing that one together. All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saved you by his grace, and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saved you by his grace, and crown him Lord of all. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. To him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. And we're going to continue singing this morning uh, with the hymn, Rich in Mercy, uh, the hymn that we have been learning uh, here at Emmanuel Baptist Church, written uh, by uh, Mrs. Uh, B. Myron Cedarholm. Uh, and uh, she wrote this uh, out of the text of Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, we want to sing about the mercy and grace of God that we have in Jesus Christ. Rich in Mercy. Rich in mercy, God the Father spared not his beloved Son. From heaven's portals grace extended, sought the sinner victory won. With great love and by his mercy, e'en when we were dead in sin, God with Christ hath quickened, raised us, seated us in heaven with him. Through the ages he shall ever show the riches of his grace. On his kindness through Christ Jesus. Oh, what mercy, oh, what grace. To good works by God created, in Christ Jesus now are we, and ordained that we should ever walk and serve obediently. 
Reconciled to God forever, by the cross forgiven I, once far off, now no more stranger, by his grace am now made nigh. Rich in mercy, God the Father, reconciled my soul to him. I am his, and his forever. Christ my Savior dwelleth within. <coughs> what a beautiful song. And what a great reminder that we have been reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ. I trust this morning that that's true of you, uh, that you have believed on Jesus Christ, your sins have been forgiven, uh, and you have now been uh, brought into fellowship with God himself uh, because of the work that Jesus Christ has done. We're going to sing one more hymn this morning before uh, we have a message from the Word of God, uh, and uh, it is the hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. And of course, uh, this time where um, we are prevented from meeting together and um, in many cases, really prevented from being very active socially at all, uh, at least in person, um, we, we maybe have more opportunity than ever uh, and therefore more uh, responsibility to spend time in prayer. But I would encourage you and hope that uh, you do uh, take advantage of this opportunity. And so we're going to sing just a couple of verses of the hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer That calls me from a world of care And bids me at my Father's throne Make all my wants and wishes known In seasons of distress and grief my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, thy wings shall my petition bear. To him whose truth and faithfulness engage the waiting soul to bless. And since he bids me seek his face, believe his word and trust his grace, I'll cast on him my every care and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. <clears throat> All right, well... I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles, hopefully you have them there with you, uh, and open them uh, with me uh, to Psalm 123. This is a psalm that J.J. Um, Stuart Perrone called a little gem cut with the most exquisite art. Few poems, he said, inspired or uninspired, 
have been more admired or beloved. We are at this moment in the midst of some trying times, times which defy our best laid plans and which frustrate our attempts to live with any sort of normalcy. Don't you think that it's appropriate today uh, that we should consider a little gem of a poem breathed out by the Holy Spirit of God, preserved for us uh, by generations of believing men uh, and women. They have come before us. Some of them have experienced epidemics uh, that are, uh, and hardships that are more deadly and even more difficult and trying than that which we are currently facing. And so I think it's right for us to comfort ourselves in the Lord by means of His Word. This is what I hope to accomplish this morning uh, as God's servant, to bring you a message of hope and peace in Yahweh, the God who reigns supreme over all. And I want you to look with me uh, at this wonderful little psalm. Uh, And again, there, maybe at your home or wherever you are today, gathered with uh, someone, um, let me encourage you maybe to read it aloud with me. Just the brief verses of Psalm 123. It begins with the title, A Song of Ascents. Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease, with the contempt of the proud. Pray with me, please, as we seek the Lord's help in examining and understanding his word. Father, we thank you today for the truth of your word. Oh, I thank you for the wonderful um, uh, preservation of these words that were written uh, by an anonymous uh, psalmist many, many centuries ago, whose heart was, was burdened and bowed down with care and pain and the difficulties of life. And so he cried out to you, and he penned these words, and they remind us of such wonderful truth today. Oh, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand your word and, and help, uh, help us to see not just intellectually what it means, but Lord, help us to see how your word speaks to our very hearts and our very lives today in the situation in which we find ourselves. And God, I pray that today you would minister grace to us through the power of your word and the Holy Spirit who uses the word of God. We thank you for that. I pray that you would use me as your instrument, your servant today. Help me to speak faithfully. Help me to speak clearly and boldly. And I pray that you would do the work that only you can do. And we give you glory and praise for it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm struck by the similarities of the opening line of this psalm and those of Psalms 25 and 121. Psalm 121 begins, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And Psalm 25 begins, Unto you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Here in Psalm 123, the psalmist is not being innovative or original. Right? He is echoing the thoughts and cries of God's people throughout the ages as they seek 
uh, divine help and rescue in the midst of life's trials. But even though the psalmist is not saying anything new or anything novel here, he speaks moving words, words which stir our hearts by way of remembrance. These words cause us to stop and think about things that we otherwise might forget. I really like what Martin Luther said about this psalm. He called it a deep sigh of a pained heart which looks round on all sides and seeks friends, protectors, and comforters, but can find none. Therefore, it says, where shall I, a poor, despised man, find refuge? I am not so strong as to be able to preserve myself. Wisdom and plans fail me among the multitude of adversaries who assault me. Therefore, I come to thee, O my God. To thee I lift up my eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. And the key question before us this morning is where will we look with our eyes when the fears and the concerns of an anxious world come crashing down all around us? Are we looking in the right place? Are we asking the right questions? Are we exhibiting the steady determination that we see in the writer of this psalm? Now this psalm is uh, divided into two very brief stanzas. Verses 1 and 2 is the first stanza, and 3 and 4 the second. The first one is focused on Yahweh's throne, and the second one is focused on the, the psalmist's need. And so there's a, almost a, uh, a heavenly um, uh, focus and an upward focus in the first part, and then the second part is really uh, that bringing down from heaven to earth. And so the, 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 the direction or the attention is different in those two cases. What we see in verses 1 and 2, we see the psalmist has a heavenward gaze. We might just call it very simply, look up. <laughs> that might be the, the, the title of the first stanza. The psalmist says, unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. We said this as we studied Psalm 121 a couple of weeks ago. The psalmist wasn't looking to the hills in order to find help. He was looking beyond them to the one who made the hills. And here he says that very explicitly. He's, he's looking to heaven where Yahweh sits enthroned. He is the one who rules there in heaven. This is the meaning of the word of the New King James translates dwell in verse 1. It literally means to sit down. And it has the implication of one who is sitting quietly at peace, without anxiety, with total confidence in his authority and his position. It pictures a judge. It's a, like a judge or a king who is seated in a place of great authority. He fears no rival. His, his will carries the very force of law. Now there's one word I think that we might use to describe uh, this situation, what this means. The word is sovereign. Yahweh, the true God, reigns supreme in the heavens. He is sovereign. And the psalmist here, at the very beginning of the psalm, is confessing this important fact. The Lord is sovereign. His power is unimpeachable. He, he controls everything on earth, and it is an absolute control. His word is law, and His will must be obeyed. And it's to this one, the God who reigns on high, that the psalmist looks. Now, I, I really get the feeling here that the psalmist is not messing around. 
right? Um, and think about it this way. This was uh, the, the analogy that kind of I thought of this week that really seemed to fit. You know, when you call a customer service for the phone company or maybe the cable company or the gas company or pretty much they're all the same, right? So whoever you call for customer service and you always begin talking to someone who's on the lowest rung of the ladder. And uh, only after you've explained your situation to them and you've spent several minutes and, and you and sometimes longer than that, and they haven't been able to help you, uh, then you, you get to, they, they kind of kick it up the ladder, you know? Uh, the, es- the, the word they use is escalate. They escalate your, your, your issue. And hopefully, after you've spent way more time than is necessary, hopefully, eventually, they get you far enough up the ladder to talk to someone who is actually able to help you and resolve your issue. But wouldn't it be nice when you got to call the phone company or the cable company or whoever, wouldn't it be nice if you had the phone number of the CEO or the, the customer service director, whoever that would be, the person that's actually in charge, and you could just call them directly and get your problem solved? Well, that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's telling us, he's showing us that as believers, it's, it's like we actually have the phone number of the CEO. We've got him on speed dial. And we can just push the button and we can call him anytime. He's, we've got a direct line to his office. He's never too busy to listen to us. And most important, and this is really what the psalmist is saying, there is no one higher up to whom he has to go to get permission or get authority to be able to intervene and help. So he's able to do everything that needs to be done. Who better to call on when trouble strikes than the one who's enthroned in the heavens? Who else has the power and the authority to resolve any problem that we face? Could you find anyone greater, anyone stronger, anyone more capable than Yahweh? Well, the answer very clearly is never. Not only that, but he's not pacing the floor of heaven. God's not up in heaven pacing and, 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 and biting his fingernails and, and nervous or anxious, hoping that things are going to turn out all right down here. The psalmist says he is seated there. He is sitting down there in heaven. He's totally at peace. He's unhurried. He's untroubled by the things that go on here below. I'm reminded of Psalm 2 and verse 4. Where David says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. What's he laughing at? Well, he's laughing when the kings of this world plot and scheme together how they're going to overthrow him, how they're going to overthrow his anointed. He laughs. There's no risk of him being dethroned. There's no risk of of him trying and failing to fulfill his his purpose. It's not like he's going to intervene and somehow not get the job done. That he's going to try to help, but he's going to be thwarted. He laughs at their plans. He laughs at the most powerful efforts of men to defy his will. And the psalmist says, listen, we've got this, we've got this, this God who sits enthroned in the heavens. We've got him on speed dial. I can look directly to him, the psalmist says. That's where I look. That's where I focus my eyes. Unto you I lift up my eyes. I lift him up all the way to the top. 
I don't stop short of the one who sits enthroned in the heavens. But notice that in verse 2, the psalmist describes his own position. He says, Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to Yahweh our God until he has mercy on us. Now, don't let the reference to servants and maids throw you off here. Because I think the focus in this psalm isn't so much on our service for God. What he's focusing on here is his complete and utter dependence on the Lord for everything. Now, I'm not denying that the psalmist and all those who trust in the Lord are his servants. That's certainly a valid uh, 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 principle and application we are obligated to obey him and to serve him but that's not the main focus of the psalm the point of verse two is simply this the relationship between a master and his servant is such that the master is responsible to provide for the needs of his servants and a mistress for the needs of her maidservant the psalmist is, is still describing Yahweh seated in the heavens. See, understand, in this description, Yahweh is the master, and, and the psalmist and other believers are the servants. He is the supreme Lord over the heavens. He is the master of his people, and we are his servants. This is, this is, is consistent, and this is right. But understand this. He is highly exalted. But he's not unconcerned with the needs of his people. He's not sitting up in heaven and kind of out of touch with the things of this earth and what's going on here. So he's sitting in the heavens, but as a good and faithful master, he cares deeply about the needs and the concerns of his people. He is their helper. He is their helper in times of trouble. I'm reminded of Psalm 40. Verses 1 and 2 where David says, I waited patiently for Yahweh and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. The psalmist understands that the Lord is seated in heaven, the Lord is enthroned, he is high and lifted up, and yet he also is responsible and he cares for the needs of his people. They are his servants, he's the master, and therefore he takes very seriously his role of providing and protecting and preserving them. I think there's an element of patience that's implied here in verse 2. Just like the maidservant patiently watches her mistress's hand. What's she doing? Well, the, the, the maidservant is watching for a signal from her mistress. The servant is watching for a signal from his master. That's why he's looking at his master's hand. And his eyes don't waver. He keeps his eyes fixed and focused. And so the believer patiently fixes his eyes on heaven, waiting for that moment when the Lord answers his prayer and stoops down to show him kindness. Sometimes our problem isn't that we forget to go to God. 
Not that we don't pray to Him. Not that we don't turn to Him when we're in a time of need. But sometimes our problem is just this. We go to Him and we expect Him to remove the difficulty immediately. We expect Him to resolve the problem or the conflict immediately. And when He doesn't act on our timetable, we give up. And our eyes drift down from heaven and from the one seated on the throne. And we begin to let our eyes drift downward and look once again at the things of earth. And we become preoccupied or we become overwhelmed by what we see going on around us rather than seeing God and keeping our eyes focused on him like that servant whose, whose eyes are fixed and he never, wa- never wavers. He's waiting. He's waiting for the signal. Psalm 123 would teach us to keep our eyes fixed on the one who dwells in the heavens. How long? How long do we need to keep looking? Well, we need to keep looking until he condescends to help us by his grace. Jesus told a parable in the Gospel of Luke. I think it illustrates the same principle very well. Luke chapter 18, he tells the story of a a woman who was a widow, and she was seeking justice, and so she came to the judge, and she asked the judge to intervene and help her. But he refused. The woman, however, would not take no for an answer, and she continued to come to him and continued to ask for his help. Jesus says it. Here's the words he actually uses. He says, by her continual coming, she wearies me. This woman refused to give up. She just kept on asking and kept on coming back to the judge, back to the one who had the authority to help. She continued to ask. She continued to persist. Now, Jesus is not saying in that parable that God is like the hard-hearted judge who didn't care about this widow woman. On the contrary, in fact, Jesus is, is telling us that how much more, because God is kind and compassionate, and he has bound himself to his people as a master and as Lord, therefore he is accountable and responsible to care for them. How much more? Will he hear and answer our cries for help? Even though sometimes it appears as though he's not responding. And he doesn't move as quickly as we would hope. Here's what Jesus said. Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. So keep your eyes fixed on the Lord in heaven and wait patiently. He will not fail to do everything that he has promised you. I want you to notice, though, that what the psalmist does next in verses 3 and 4. As I said, uh, verses 1 and 2, he's looking up. He's lifting his eyes up to heaven. In verses 3 and 4, his attention now is drawn back down to earth. Not that he's not looking to the Lord, but now he begins to speak about what the circumstances are that he finds himself in. And so where verses 1 and 2, the theme is look up. Verses 3 and 4, the theme is fed up. He's fed up with the way things are going here on earth. Notice what he does here. He repeats in verse 3, that which he has said at the end of verse 2. The end of verse 2, he says uh, that, that our eyes look to the Lord until he has mercy on us. 
And then in verse 3, he repeats twice, Have mercy on us, O Yahweh, have mercy on us. He is pleading with the Lord to show mercy. Literally here, the word is grace or favor. Three times in this short psalm, the writer says he is waiting for the Lord in order to receive grace. You see, he's fed up and he is desperately in need of God's grace. Now, what do we mean when we talk about God's grace? What does the psalmist mean here? Well, I can tell you some things that grace is not. Let's start there. Grace is not treating us according to what we deserve. The Bible is very clear. Passages like Isaiah 53 and verse 6, it says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Romans 3, 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. The truth is that we all deserve death and condemnation because we've rebelled against the authority and the righteous rule of God. So grace can't be getting what we deserve because we've sinned and we've rebelled and we've rejected Him. Now, grace is also not God doing for us what he does not want to do. In other words, when we pray for God to help us, we're not having to twist his arm to get him to do something that he doesn't really want to do. We don't have to work out a deal with him, negotiate something, you know, some sort of trade where we give him something to make it worth his while. Grace is also not God giving us whatever we want. Scripture says that God gave up His own Son, Jesus Christ. He gave Him up for us while we were still sinners in rebellion against Him. Right? He wasn't forced to do this against His will. But He also wasn't giving us what we wanted. What we want most of all in our natural state is to be free to go our own way. To live life however we want to live. To be in control ourselves and answer only to ourselves. That's what we want. We want the the, the right of of independence, of self-determination. We want to be in control. God's grace is not giving us our way. God's grace is not rewarding us for good deeds or for being a nice uh, or, or being nice to us because we're such good people. We've already noted what Romans 3 says, we're not good. We deserve judgment, not reward. So what then is grace? Well, it's exactly what the psalmist here is describing in Psalm 123. Grace, how is it pictured? God is enthroned in heaven. And yet God who has exalted high and lifted up, high up in the heavens, seated on his throne, the King of kings and Lord of lords, he stoops down to grant his favor to those who are far, far below him. Those who cannot possibly hope to rescue themselves from trouble. Those who patiently and with humility look to him for help. 
This is exactly how a lost sinner can be saved. If you acknowledge that you're lost, that you're sinful, you're corrupt and without hope in the world, then look to Jesus Christ who died for your sins. He was buried and three days later he rose from the dead, giving glory to God the Father. And then merely 40 days after that, he ascended to heaven where he sits even now at the right hand of the Father's throne, ready to intercede for all who put their trust in him. Believe on him and be saved by his grace. Right? You are not worthy of him, neither am I. And yet he will show kindness to all who come to him in faith. This is grace. God condescending to lost sinners in love and forgiveness. But grace is not just for those who are lost in their sin. Because he continues to offer grace to us. We who are his servants. We who have already trusted in Jesus. We who have already been born again by faith in Jesus Christ. We who have been saved by his blood. We receive continually the grace of God as we trust him. We must learn to watch him as a servant watches his master's hand and as a maidservant watches her mistress's hand. We must keep our eyes fixed on him. We must pray and wait patiently for him. This is the posture of the man or woman who trusts in the Lord. And it is the picture that we see here in this psalm. But notice the last part of verse 3 and then in verse 4, how the psalmist describes his circumstances and, and why he is praying for God's grace. He says, we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with scorn for those who are at ease with the contempt of the proud. He speaks here of those who are at ease, those who are proud. The idea is those there are people who are foolishly secure, who are arrogant in their position. They believe that nothing bad will ever happen to them, that they are protected from trials and heartache. They believe that they never have to answer to anyone or, say, or serve anyone but themselves. They're self-assured and confident in their own abilities and their own resources. And because of this, they speak and they act with contempt toward the psalmist. They mock him. They scorn his faith. And this isn't just a one-time thing. But it's ongoing. It's continual. They, they have this attitude and action that is continual and repeated. They, they, they mock, they scorn, they ridicule him. And it gets to the point where he is completely fed up with their scorn and their contempt. The phrase that he uses here, exceedingly filled with contempt, exceedingly filled with the scorn. Other versions have, we have had our fill, or we have had more than enough of contempt and scorn. Maybe you can relate. You get to the end of your rope. You've just had it up to here with everything. That's how the psalmist feels as he's writing Psalm 123. And I can imagine a lot of the Israelites would feel that way. 
as they made their way to Jerusalem for the feast and celebrated the feast. And this psalm is one of the songs of ascents. This collection of songs that the Israelites would sing as they, as, they, as they traveled in their pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year. And after months of, of working and toiling alongside of, of maybe unbelieving Israelites as well as their pagan Gentile neighbors who scoffed and mocked their faithfulness and who, who laughed at their, their commitment to obeying the Lord and trusting in Him. Imagine they would be fed up. They'd be tired. They'd be worn down. They'd be, be, be ready to be done with all of this. But instead of joining the mockers, instead of joining the scoffers and those with contempt, that's one way to try to uh, ease the difficulty, isn't it? And sometimes we're tempted to do that. Sometimes people who at one point profess faith in Christ uh, end up joining the mockers and the scoffers and begin to mock and ridicule Christianity. Consider themselves to be skeptics. That's an easy way out. To avoid the scorn and mocking contempt of the proud and the unbelieving. The psalmist doesn't do that. He's fed up. He's had it. He, he can't stand it anymore. He can't take it anymore. And what does he do? He doesn't give up. He doesn't join the crowd. Instead, he pleads with God. He lifts his eyes to heaven and he pleads for God's grace and God's strength to help him endure to continue on in the face of contempt and scorn. He pleads for God's grace, for God's mercy, for God's favor. I think it's important to note here, too, that he doesn't ask God to punish these people. He doesn't ask God to judge them. Now, there's nothing wrong with the imprecatory psalms where the psalmists pray for God's judgment to come, but this is not one of them. And I think as the Israelites were going on their way up to Jerusalem, their minds and their hearts weren't directed toward their, 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 their enemies or the hostile people around them, the unbelieving people. Even when they were fed up, their minds and their hearts were to be turned to the Lord. That's the purpose for them coming to Jerusalem. That they would be uh, restored in their fellowship with God. That they would once again uh, focus their attention on Him. And that's what the psalmist says, I lift my eyes unto you. Lord, who is seated in heaven. If we are to remain faithful to the Lord in the midst of a world that scoffs and mocks and has nothing but contempt for God, for the claims of Scripture, for the true uh, Jesus Christ who is revealed in the Scriptures, not the, the, the kind of sappy and, and pathetic uh, Jesus that most uh, kind of cultural Christians and people have uh, their view of Jesus. No, the, 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 the way that Scripture reveals Him, if we are going to be faithful, if we're going to be faithful in trusting Him and, and obeying Him, we're going to have to lift our eyes to heaven. We're going to have to keep our eyes focused on Him and seek His favor continually. We need to be like those faithful servants. The servant or the maid servant who watches his master's hand or her or her mistress's hand, 
looking for any signal, just that, 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 that small uh, signal uh, flick of the wrist, that, that small signal of the hand that's going to indicate now is the time to act. We need to be that focused. We need to be that patient as we wait on the Lord, keeping our eyes focused on Him. Let me encourage you today. Don't settle. Don't settle for an underling when you can go straight to the top. Go right to the Lord. Go to Him and seek help from the Lord who sits enthroned in the heavens. Remember that although our foes are earthly, our resources heavenly, and we need to rest today in His wondrous grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this great reminder in the Psalms that though we face great trials of affliction and certainly uh, though we here in the United States don't experience uh, the persecution that many Christians experience around the world, we face uh, the, the distrust, the scorn, the mockery, and the scoffing of those who reject you. This is a universal experience of all believers throughout all time. Lord, we get fed up. We get tired. We get worn down. We can get discouraged if we're not careful. By your grace, help us to look to you. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you. Help us to keep our our minds and our hearts uh, looking to you and fixed upon you. That by faith, we might receive your grace to help us in our time of need. Thank you that you are good and faithful. That you always provide grace to those who seek it humbly, trusting you. And I pray, Lord, even if if someone this morning has never trusted in Jesus Christ, never turned from their sins and realized that they needed to be saved, I pray that today they would cry out to you for mercy and for grace, for salvation, and that you would save them. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.